Okay. If you have Bibles with you or a Bible app with you, please open up to Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5. So Paul has written to the Galatians because they have wandered from the truth. They've been deceived. The truth being this, salvation by grace through faith. That's the truth. The deception being salvation by works of the law. The Galatians began their spiritual journeys by believing in salvation by grace. And because some agitators came around sowing weeds among the grain, they've been deceived and have made a bad turn to a philosophy of salvation by works. So this morning we begin a look at Galatians chapter 5. And in it, we'll see some of Paul's most poignant and most powerful statements. This is one of my most favorite chapters in all of the Bible, containing one of my most favorite verses. So today, we're going to take a look at verses 1 to 12. Let's begin with verse 1. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Powerful, right? Now I share with you guys in the past that um, I've had some supernatural experiences. I've had, I've had angelic beings or heavenly beings come to me and give me messages. And there was one encounter I had some years ago. It was exactly this verse. And these two heavenly beings were were beside me on either side, and one looked at me and said emphatically, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then the other one picked up the rest of the verse. He said, stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then went back to the first guy, he started all over again, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And went back to the other guy, stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And I think they repeated it maybe five, six, seven times. They just kept saying it again and again. Whatever was going on in my world right then, I had missed this point. And they were sent by God to emphatically remind me that it was for freedom that Christ has set me free. And I was to take that stand for freedom. I have found myself in that place. I have found myself as a pastor and a leader in that place of taking a stand for freedom again and again and again and again. I love this verse. Truly one of my top five favorite verses in all of Scripture. And as most of you already know, freedom is a high personal value to me. I'm sure you've heard me countless times quote, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 to you over the years. And I got to tell you, when I first considered preaching through Paul's letter to the Galatians, it was with this chapter and this specific verse in mind. It's like I couldn't wait to get to chapter 5, uh, verse 1. So I had fun preparing this week's message. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. <laughs> this one verse sums, sums up the entirety of the letter in my opinion, so very well. 
It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Well, it begs the question, free from what? It, this is not, guys, it's not a political freedom. It's not freedom from Roman oppression. The Romans kind of ruled everything in that day. It's not freedom from a prison sentence. The freedom Paul's referring to, he's speaking about a religious freedom. He's specifically speaking about spiritual freedom. He's talking about freedom from relating with God on the basis of the law, of the law of Moses, as well as freedom from the religious rules and regulations of the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees. That's the freedom Paul's talking about. That's the freedom that he's cautioning them, he's exhorting them, he's challenging them not to submit to again. Not to put that yoke of slavery, he calls it, not to bear that burden again. So that's what it's freedom from. What's it freedom for? Well, it's freedom for a relationship with God, a true, authentic, genuine relationship with God. Intimate relationship, a personal relationship, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's freedom to connect with God directly, without a middleman. No middleman's necessary. Freedom from jumping through hoops of religious ceremonies and religious protocols. There's a guy named Simon Sinek. He's a big, um, he's an author and really popular on TED Talks. Anybody ever watch TED Talks online? I really like them. He's very popular there. He, this is what he says concerning protocol. He says, a true friend is someone with whom protocol is no longer necessary. A true friend is someone with whom protocol is no longer necessary. Do you know, under the Old Covenant, there was protocol on top of protocol on top of protocol before somebody could get into the most holy place to have that face-to-face, -face, that one-on-one -on -one intimate encounter with God. All of those protocols are gone. We, we know this in our own lives, right? If, if my son or daughter came to the house, they're not going to ring the doorbell. They're not going to knock on the door and wait for me to answer it. They're just going to walk right in. As a matter of fact, they probably have a key. There's no protocol. If my son is hungry, he doesn't say, um, would it be possible, Mom, if you had the time that you could, you know, maybe make something for me to eat. Now, Nadine would be all over that, okay? But if he was hungry, he wouldn't go through the protocol of requesting permission for a meal. He would just go to the refrigerator and raid it like he's always done his whole life. Some of us have close friends like that. We have close friends. They don't knock on the door. They come to the house. They know the door's unlocked. They walk right in. Why? Because they're a friend. They're a close friend. That's the type of relationship that we now have with the almighty God of the universe. We have a, a relationship, a friendship. Jesus called us his friends. Where protocols are not necessary. 
Now, God's awesome, and God is amazing. And Like I said, I've had some wonderful experiences in the Spirit with Him. And I've got to tell you that the overwhelming majority of the time that I've encountered God in the Spirit, God comes to me in such a form that He limits Himself so that I will survive the experience. He comes to me in kindness and in grace and in mercy and in love. It's kind of like when my nieces and nephews were younger and they learned how to play tic-tac-toe. You guys have had experiences like that, right? Now, as an adult, I should be able to crush them in every game of tic-tac-toe. But what do I do? I let them win. Love is self-limiting for the sake of another. God's love towards us is self-limiting because if we were to experience him in his full unveiled glory, we'd be but you know, like an ink spot on the ground. It, we would be undone. And so I've had experiences where God, where it begins and he reveals himself to me as the most loving, the safest, most comfortable, loving father. I can remember this one experience. We're sitting in chairs across from each other, facing one another. I couldn't feel more safe. Couldn't possibly feel more loved. And at one point, he stands up from this chair and his whole being is transformed from that of the, the gentle loving father to the Lord of glory. I mean, he was radiating like the sun. I didn't have to think about it. There wasn't any choice that I had to make. When he revealed his nature, or he fully revealed himself, I've got to admit, even still I'm sure it's measured. But when he revealed himself in that way, I had no option but to fall on my face before him. His presence was so overpowering. But the fact that I can get there, the scripture says that we can approach the throne of grace, how? Boldly. Why? Because protocols are no longer necessary. Why? Because we're friends with God. We're no longer under the old covenant. We're under a much better covenant that gives us access to God. The Hebrew culture had copious protocols, smells and bells and sacrifices, but no more. None of that applies to you. You have access to daddy's arms anytime you want them. Just crawl up in his lap. And he will hold you and he will love you. Freedom. What is this freedom for? It's for a relationship with God. An intimate relationship with God. Granted to us as a gift. By his great grace. Verse 1 goes on to say, stand firm then. Meaning, take your stand. Set your feet. Firmly planted. Do not waver. Do not give an inch. It means to stand and keep standing. I looked up stand firm then in a whole bunch of translations. Almost all of them say stand firm. The Amplified said keep standing firm. The message said, so take your stand. And a new translation that's winning me over more and more called the Passion Translation says this, stubbornly refuse. Stubbornly refuse. Do not let, the verse goes on to say, verse 1, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So we are to stand firm 
unflinching against this yoke of slavery. Do not yield. Do not give in. Do not go back to this yoke of slavery. And what is this yoke of slavery that Paul refers to? He's not referring to the horrors of human trafficking. He's not talking about people who are sold into servitude. This yoke of slavery, he uses the term slavery, is religion. Specifically, this yoke of slavery is the law of Moses. This heavy yoke of slavery of salvation by works. Salvation by works of the law. Religious laws. Today, the yoke of slavery that we fight against, I like to call performance-based Christianity. That's today's yoke of slavery. Any and all of the hoops that we're forced to jump through to seemingly make us acceptable to God. Forced on us by ourselves and sometimes by others, sometimes by pastors. To convince ourselves or others that we've made ourselves acceptable to God based upon our high level of performance. Now the Galatians began in grace and astonishingly have a turn away from grace toward the law. Man, that is like, that's like the dumbest deal. That is the worst deal in all the universe. They went from freedom to the bondage of religious slavery. And Paul's exhorting them passionately to wake up to the truth. Verses 2 to 4. Paul writes, mark my words, exclamation point. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ and have fallen away from grace. So, have you ever had an argument with somebody, and in the argument, you can, you can watch their anger ramping up and ramping up, right? Maybe the argument starts here, and then something gets said or happened, and within a few sentences, you, you just watch their anger level go from here, to ramps all the way up. It's like this, in these 12 verses, especially these next 11 verses, this is exact. you'll see it by verse 12. This is exactly what's happening with Paul, right? And he begins with, mark my words, exclamation point, right? He's saying, mark my words emphatically. I, Paul, tell you. He's intensely, he's angry here. And so why is circumcision such a big deal? In verse 2 it says, if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And verse 3 says, again, I declare to every man who lets him be, himself be circumcised, He's obligated to obey the whole law. So why, why circumcision? Why is this such a big deal? In that day, in that culture, circumcision was the mark of Judaism. It was the sign of a boy born into a family. On the eighth day, he would be circumcised. And that was his mark from those earliest days of infancy that he was a Jew, that he was a Hebrew that he was going to follow the Hebrew God. 
It was also the sign required of a Gentile, boy or man, that if he was going to convert to, Ju to Judaism, this was the sign that was required and it would apply to his whole family. They, they were no longer Gentiles, but now that they're Jews. Circumcision was the sign. And it was the very thing that was being required of the Galatians from these Hebrews who followed behind Paul on his missionary journey. Paul's traveling around, preaching messages of grace and love and freedom. And there are Hebrews coming behind him who are saying, no, you've got to be a Jew first before you can be a Christian. And this is how it happens. The entryway is you've got to be circumcised. Imagine being the Galatian in that day. Are you kidding, are you kidding me? I think I like Paul better. And I'm sure that they did. But somehow, these, what Paul refers to as false believers, wore the Galatians down. It is got to them and got to them and got to them until they were given in. So circumcision was a big deal. And Paul is arguing strongly against it. Paul's declaring that the Gentiles are faced with a decision. They're in an either-or situation, not both and. You're either free or you're not free. It is either grace or it is law. It's not a mixture of the two. If you come to God on the basis of religious legalism, then it is religious legalism, all religious legalism, all the way. It's going to be all about how well you perform. If you come to God on the basis of grace, then it's all grace. All grace all the way. And it's all about what God has already done for you. And verse 4 communicates this well. It says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. The Galatians had to, had to make a choice. A little side note. Circumcision does not hold the same significance in our culture as it did theirs. Right? If a family makes the decision of circumcision, it's not saying, that's, it's not saying the same thing as you're, you're required to follow the law, you've fallen away for grace. In our culture, it is simply a preference of choice for any variety of reasons. It held a vastly different significance in the culture then. Am I making sense? Can you see that? Paul makes it clear in the next couple of verses, verses that the issue isn't so much the act of circumcision itself, but the religious intent behind it. Verses 5 and 6. But through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Is that clear? That's, that's a word for us today if you're confused about the topic of circumcision. It has no value. It means nothing. Then he goes on to make a profound statement. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Commentator David Guzik, I'll often refer to some of his stuff as I prepare these, these messages, and I usually find a, a, 
a few pretty good nuggets here and there. Concerning uh, verse 5, David Guzik writes in his commentary, he says, Those walking in the Spirit wait for righteousness by faith. They are not trying to earn it by performing good works. No one is a legalist through the Spirit. Man, I love that. No one is a legalist through the Spirit. In verse 6, Paul states clearly to the Galatians that circumcision is irrelevant, irrelevant to followers of Jesus. And then he makes what I think is one of the most profound statements in the New Testament, in that second half of, of verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now the context here is how we're going to relate with God. And the answer is, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Two powerful first century words, Greek words, are used here. For faith, it's pistis, and boy, I've taught on that a bunch of times. I think the best uh, understanding for pistis in our culture is trust. It's often translated as faith or belief or believing, but in essence, it means trust. And love Love is the word agape here. It's the, it's the highest form of love. It's the highest expression of love. So what, what Paul's saying here in that second half of verse 6 is the only thing that counts is a relationship of trust with God Almighty expressing itself through the grandest of all loves. God's own love. The way God loves us. Man, that's good. That's a powerful sentence. You might want to highlight that or underline it. Write it on an index card and put it on your bathroom mirror. Meditate on it for a while. That's good stuff. So much so, I wonder if we could make a broader application of that second half of verse 6 to other areas or the entirety of our spiritual lives. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I think... If we could live that, we'd see a whole lot less church splits. <laughs> you know? I think we'd see a whole lot healthier relationships. I think the world might all know that we are his disciples <laughs> by the way we love one another. But wouldn't it make a great guiding statement of mission or, or purpose for, say, an individual? They're looking for a life statement? That would, that would be a good one or for a group, or an organization, or a church community, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I encourage you, meditate on that for a while. Chew on that for a while. See what God reveals to you. Verses 7 to 9. Paul writes, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. He's saying, man, you're on the right path. You were running in the right direction, the way of grace. Who cut you off? Who distracted you? Who deceived you? What's up with this detour? He's saying, this detour is not from God. It's not from the one who called you by his grace. And then Paul issues a warning to the Galatians. As a matter of fact, it's the same warning that Jesus gave to his disciples. In Matthew 16, 16, Jesus says to them, Be careful. 
Jesus said to them, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul's issuing the very same warning to the Galatians. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. A little bit of religious legalism will work its way throughout the entire community. Don't do it. Another, another little quip from David Guzik's commentary concerning verse 9. He says this, In the Jewish way of thinking, leaven, or yeast, almost always stood for evil influence. In that culture, yeast or leaven almost always stood for some type of evil influence. Paul is saying that the legalistic commitment they have right now may be small, but it is so dangerous that it can corrupt everything. A little bit of legalism, a little bit of religion will go a long way. Just say no. <laughs> Verses 10 and 11, Paul writes, I am confident in the Lord. He's getting more and more fired up. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view the one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever they may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, remember there were all these false accusations against him. And part of his writing is to, is to you know, get those false accusations off of him. If I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Here we see Paul's intensity ramping up yet again. Saying those leading you into deception, they will have a price to pay. And no matter what anyone else is saying to you, I'm telling you that I'm not espousing the law or legalism. And certainly not circumcision. Otherwise, the cross has no value. One last quote from David Guzik. I found a few good things from him this week. Last one. Concerning this, he writes, Legalism can't handle the offense of the cross. The whole point of Jesus dying on the cross was to say, you can't save yourself. I must die in your place, or you will have absolutely no hope at all. When we trust in legalism, we believe that we, that we can at least impart save ourselves. And guys, we can't. And that brings us to our final verse this morning, verse 12. <sighs> verse 12. Something else. I think it reveals to us just how intense and just how passionate, just how angry Paul is in this writing. So much for the false accusations against Paul that he was a people pleaser. No people pleasing in this next statement. So much for the false accusation of Paul only tells people what they want to hear. I think here we see Paul at the peak of his anger. Verse 12. He writes, As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> now the New International Version it's very polite. <laughs> okay? 
So I looked up a few other translations. The New Living Translation takes it this way. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. The International Standard Version says, I wish that those who are upsetting you would castrate themselves. A, a little bit more direct than emasculate, right? The message. Why don't those agitators, obsessive as they are about circumcision, go all the way and castrate themselves? And the Amplified. I wish those who are troubling you by teaching that circumcision is necessary for salvation would even go all the way and castrate themselves. Paul is fired up. Paul's really fired up. Sounds like they're a little bit of Brooklyn. <laughs> and the Apostle Paul. In my neighborhood, it would have been a little cruder than that. But do you get the point? He's fired up. He's done with these guys. The stupid games that they're playing. So passionate is he for the Galatians. So passionate is he for the message of the gospel. For salvation by grace, not by works. So passionate is he for these eternal concerns. These are concerns that are worthy of passion. They get me fired up too. I just can't abide the absence of freedom. I can't abide religious rules and regulations. I can't abide it. Many times, hey, even in this church, I've had people come to me and say, no, no, no. And almost all the time it's been for the reasons of religious traditionalism or some variation of legalism. And I'm thinking to myself, but you don't understand. If we go down that, that path, we sacrifice grace. If we go down that path, it's at the expense of love. If we go down that path, it'll be at the expense of relationship. It'll be at the expense of freedom. Guys, can you see that we can't go down that path? And for some, it rescues them. For others, they just get mad at me and they take their friends and their ball and they go play somewhere else. You know? But if you've ever wondered why I take the stand I take, it's because this is my passion too. As fired up as Paul is, I got a passion for freedom. I got a huge passion for the message of grace. <laughs> I'm remembering, I think it was my very first, maybe the second Sunday I preached here. And I was sitting just about where I am right now. And, um, and I had a message on the Father's love. And my, my take on the message of the Father's love was one of grace and freedom. That was what was being communicated in the message. Something that's just near and dear to my heart. And I, I never got to know this guy's name, but he came up to me. The first two Sundays I was here, he came up each time. And he was really upset with me. You know, he, he's like, well, you know, what about righteousness? What about sacrifice? I'm like, yeah, dude, it's, it, it's all in there. It, it's all in there, you know. But he was so offended. I mean, so offended, he was angry about the message of grace. 
And by the end of the second Sunday, he said to me, I can't come to church here anymore. I said, oh man, I'm really sorry, sorry to hear that. We, we have, I don't even know your name yet. We haven't got a chance to know each other yet. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Let's pray. Oh, God, save us from ourselves. Rescue us from our good ideas. Deliver us, Lord, from any remnants of legalism that remain in us. Set us free from performance-based Christianity. I pray for us, oh God, that we would hold tightly to the freedom that's ours in Christ Jesus, that we would live in the fullness of that freedom. And having done so, that we would stand firm, feet firmly planted, and that we would not submit again to a yoke of religious slavery, that we just not go back. And Lord, let, let this be our guiding principles as we go forward. Remind us that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Okay.